Hello and welcome to the Guys Like Us podcast. This is your host, Tyler Brondike, and today I'm joined with Jay Stringer, who's a therapist, author, and speaker. So stay tuned. Hello and welcome everyone to the Guys Like Us podcast. Thank you for joining. If you're a first-time listener, I appreciate you checking us out. If you're a long-time listener, if you've tuned in before, thanks for your continued support. As always, I hope this episode and this content provide some perspective um, and some value into, into your personal faith walk. Today's conversation is with Jay Stringer, who's a therapist, author, and speaker, um, and we hop into his latest book, Unwanted, How Sexual Brokenness Reveals Our Way to Healing. But before I hop into a brief introduction of Jay, um, just wanted to let you know if, if you have been tuning in and if you enjoy this show, if you wouldn't mind leaving a review on, on iTunes or Google Play, um, however you're, you're finding this podcast right now. It greatly helps to continue the support um, for this service. Today's conversation with Jay, uh, we hop into people and who are struggling and dealing with pornography and, and infidelity, um, and we discuss the ins and out ins and outs uh, of the, these challenges. Many people, through his research, are not sure why this is happening, um, but also what freedom from sexual brokenness looks like. Uh, maybe the, the traditional approach has been accountability, um, or the other approach might be to to mitigate shame. Um, but there's not really a, f- a full, complete, comprehensive way uh, to deal with healing. Um, there's a dimension of sexual brokenness in all of our lives. It's not uh, only for for folks who you know may consider themselves addicted, um, but we all have something that we can learn and improve in our lives. Um, we discuss some ways that he he suggests three ways to to deal with our situation um he shares a bit more about his background and into his story uh, and opens up into really a personal um witness and testimony of the power of digging back to his childhood experience and what he's been able to dig up that impacts his present situation finally uh he gets into his latest video course, Journey into the Heart of Man, which is awesome. I'm super excited for uh, for him to, to share more about this. Um, but he he explains this five month long comprehensive course that that brings you through this arousal template, this self assessment, um, and again helps you deal with your lust. Um, he he provides some examples of really how to get to the bottom uh, and get to the heart, um, and it's through it's through the cause it's through it's through dealing with a situation head on and getting to the root so if you want to hear more about jay you can you can hop on over to jaystringer.com or heartofmanjourney.com as well so without further ado i'm going to turn it on over to the conversation with jay and i hope that you enjoy First of all, congratulations on your latest book, um, Unwanted, How Sexual Brokenness Reveals Our Way to Healing. So congratulations. How has the first, uh, I guess, six weeks now been going for the, for the, start, of the start of the book? <laughs> oh my goodness. It has felt a little bit like a circus, and I don't know if I'm in it or managing it, but uh, you know, most of my life has been spent as a psychotherapist, and so this whole authoring, getting a lot of, I will talk about it later in the show, yep. but also created an online course uh, 
uh, to help guide men and women out of sexual brokenness. Uh, so it, we have just been uh, going at it for a, for a while now. Wow. Yeah. So you've you've been full steam ahead this this uh, this fall fall season then. Oh man. Very much so. Very much. Yeah. Um, so first for the for the book, uh, I want to know just a bit a bit more of a, a precursor behind this initial idea. Um, as you mentioned, as a psychotherapist, what were you doing and and really seeing uh, that that needed to be further maybe researched or developed and and then articulated into book form? How did how did this book? Uh, become to to be what it is today? Sure. So uh, most of the current research out there basically tells us what we already know, that pornography, infidelity, buying sex is a major problem in our world today. And so there have been, I mean, literally, Tyler, millions of dollars spent uh, just to tell us that Pornography is an issue in our world. Uh, So we know that 57% of our pastors, 64% of our youth pastors uh, are struggling or have struggled with pornography. We know that about a third of all marriages will encounter infidelity. But there has been so little research to really get at the why, like what is actually driving this. And then additionally, as as a therapist, men and women were arriving in my office with almost no understanding of what freedom from sexual brokenness was all about. So I'm not sure about you, but I grew up as a child in the 80s, kind of the purity movement. And a lot of the ways that we would address issues like lust or pornography was essentially to put like a jar in the middle of a room. And then if you masturbated or if you looked at porn in the last week, you would put like $5 in or $10 in. Uh, Or you would have a lot of guys just talking about like trying to bounce their eyes or this three second rule or slapping a rubber band around their wrist. And what I realized is that these things were actually not providing people to pathways to lasting freedom. So as one of my clients recently said to me, he said, Jay, when I've been having the same conversation with my accountability partner for 15 years, something is not working here. Um, and so that all of that kind of led me to the decision to do research. So a lot of what I tried to do was I asked about 4,000 people uh, to tell me their story, to tell me about a little bit about their family of origin, uh, some of the difficulties that they were facing in their present day life, and then what were the particulars of the things that they sought out, whether that was infidelity, uh, the specifics of their porn searches, and then put all of that into Uh, a survey that would basically analyze and give us data about what's actually driving this. So to me, this is essentially one of the most faithful things that we can do as followers of Jesus is to actually say God is actually curious about the human heart. He's curious about the way that our sorrow and our sin have come to be. And so I wanted to ask people questions. Um, And after you ask about 4,000 people, inevitable data uh, and patterns begin to come back to us. And that was essentially the the book that I wrote was uh, discussing some of those patterns and findings and insights that came from the research. Yeah, just, just to clarify, so you mentioned sexual brokenness. Can you just, um, yes. for folks who may not uh, know, you know what that fully enca- encapsulates. What, or, le- or at least from the the research and the in the meaning that that you've taken. What is that? What does that look like? 
Sure. So I, I mean, I titled the book Unwanted, and I use this phrase throughout it called unwanted sexual behavior. And what I mean by that is basically any dimension of someone's sexual behavior that at the end of the day, they wish was not true about them. So that could be the use of pornography, that could be a particular fantasy life, uh, that could be infidelity or buying sex. And so uh, I am kind of right in this middle of the world where uh, there's a lot out there with regard to talking about sex addiction. And I think that one of those things is sex addiction is, I think, overly diagnosed. And so a lot of times when when men are initially seeking integrity with these matters, they begin to say, I don't know if I'm an addict. I don't know if I'm not. They might take a little self-assessment. But I'm trying to work with this understanding that all of us have some level of brokenness. Some of us... uh, would look at our sexual life and say that there, it might not be an addiction, but there are certainly moments of my life that don't feel whole, that I know that this design of sexuality that mm-hmm. God has given me is good, and yet I'm finding myself in the midst of a lot of sexual shame, a lot of sexual sadness or depression. Uh, and so that was uh, the focus of this book, is mm-hmm. how can we actually all come together and not try and diagnose people as addicts or not, but just to be able to say, there's a dimension of our sexual life that still aches and longs for wholeness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and 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 as you mentioned, it it sounds like um, the the approach has been either you know if you're if you're dealing with uh, say masturbation and pornography, for example, it's either yeah. it's either hey this isn't I, I have to accept it and just and this is something I'm gonna I'm I'm just it's just gonna be part of who I am. Um, for some folks, or if you've if you've identified that hey, this isn't the right, this isn't something that I, I believe is uh, is important for whether it's just for my life, whether Christian or not a Christian, um, then it's hey, I, I have to stop it. I have to stop this thought from coming in. This this is a bad thought. This is I have to I have to cut it off, as you mentioned, right? And this this the language, and I think the, the language used is very. Um, I don't know if fear is the right word, but it's like, it's very harsh and like, you know, like you, you have to get rid of it. Whereas it sounds like the language that you're using, uh, again, coming to wholeness is a lot more of a, it's a, it's like a working with you type of approach. Um, yes. if that, if yeah. that makes sense. So, so well said. Yeah. So a lot of what this book is trying to do is to carve a middle path between, I mean, I would say more the conservative right is, is all about get into accountability, stop your lust, in some cases, even declaring war against it. Uh, and then you have more of, I just, uh, let's just call it the left, that they kind of make the enemy sexual shame. And so if we can just get rid of the shame and stigma associated with our sexual choices, then we will become whole. And I don't have too much critique on some of that approach because I find so much of the traditional understanding of how to work with uh, sexual arousal pretty troubling. But I think what I'm trying to really invite people into is not this sense of stop and not this sense of indulge, but to really ask the why of why is it that this particular fantasy, why is it that this particular uh, porn scene, why is it that this particular fantasy about an affair is so appealing to me? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, throughout the scriptures, whenever God, especially in the Old Testament, approaches people, Uh, You know, right after Adam is eaten of the fruit, God doesn't say, Adam, stop that. Don't ever do that again. 
Um, and he doesn't just say, go and eat more apples. He says, Adam, where are you? Um, and so it, we see this throughout the scriptures that Hagar, who has just been immensely traumatized by the mm-hmm. first family of the faith, yep. the angel of the Lord appears to her and, and asks her two of the best questions that any friend or therapist or pastor could ever ask, which is, where do you come from and where are you going? And so to me, that's the posture that I want to bring people into with this book that I've written is how do you actually be curious about your sexual life uh, instead of just trying to be at war against it or just trying to indulge it? Because what the research found and what the book is trying to articulate is that embedded right in the sexual behavior that often causes us problems are actually clues to the freedom that we are seeking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, so before we get into the, I guess the approach and, and how, how we can then, you know, come, uh, come back to where, where we come from and to, to, to help further indicate where we go, this, this, you know, more this, this narrative approach, um, bef- yes. before we get to that, can you share a bit more about your, your personal uh, background? You mentioned you know, briefly, uh, growing up, it, but can you, can you speak a bit more to your, your faith background, um, what, what times were like for you? And was this something that was, uh, whether you, uh, was sexual brokenness something that you faced or was it something that your family faced and how did you come to this, uh, to this passion and, and into, into this further investigation? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I uh, grew up on the East Coast, and my uh, my father was a pastor. So I was uh, one of those classic pastors' kids, and I was the uh, third of four children. And I would say that most of my kind of older siblings took more of the uh, maybe a little bit more rebellious, a little bit more kind of intellectually critiquing of Christianity. Um, and so a lot of my journey was this sense of I'm I'm a pretty good kid, uh, and yet I would find myself kind of two-stepping between like wanting to follow Jesus really faithfully and yet also having this kind of secretive dimension of my sexual life that I didn't fully know how to integrate. Uh, and so, you know, Many years ago, when I was in grad school, I found myself on a therapist's couch, and I was pretty troubled about uh, some of the sexual fantasies that had been with me since I was about 15. Uh, so I began to open up to this therapist about some of the things that I'd been struggling with, and uh, one of the questions that she asked me was, tell me a little bit about the role that you had in your family. And I was like, why is that even important? I'm just trying to like have integrity, and so... What she kind of basically drew me back to was to really get a sense of how my sexual story uh, made sense in light of the family that I grew up in. And so as we as we began to work through this, uh, one of the things that came immediately to mind was uh, my family when I'm probably about eight years old, we're sitting at a family dinner table and small Presbyterian church and so when people would try and get a hold of my dad they would try and call the church first and then they would call our home so uh, we would screen all of our calls almost never answer them but we had this answering machine right next to our kitchen table and uh, on the answering machine that evening was someone who had just said that their husband had just had an affair and we knew this family really well 
And in that moment, I could see my dad kind of go into crisis mode and my mom kind of become a little bit resentful that my dad had to leave again. And so one of the things that would happen often in my family is that as my dad would attend to these pastoral duties, it was often my kind of unsaid job to kind of make sure that my mom was doing okay. Uh, so I would do a lot of chores. I would be kind of that good classic kid. Mm -hmm. uh, but then in the evenings uh, throughout adolescence and certainly into college, there was this step of, I'm going to be this good, faithful kid. I'm going to care well for people. I'm going to ask people how their heart is doing. I'm going to be really attentive to the gospel. And yet in the evenings, that was always the time where I would indulge in pornography or fantasy. Um, and so part of what this therapist did was to really help me connect how my sexual story and even my sexual fantasies that often involved uh, people that were older than me um, or basically this context where I would uh, enter into some type of fantasy where I was pursuing and meeting some woman's needs and then she would desire me sexually. And so part of mm. what we... Uh, kind of realized was that my unwanted sexual behavior was a direct reflection of the parts of my story that had remained unaddressed. And so one of the things that I realized is that, that those, those dimensions of my life that were actually exceedingly caring for other people eventually became sexualized into the porn searches that I would make. And so part of what I needed to go back to was to get a sense of how was my sexual story formed and how did that make a lot of the choices that I eventually made? So um, just it, that was that was a lot of the impetus behind this mm -hmm. is just to really get a sense that my sexual story is not random at all. And within the pornography searches, within the fantasies, that actually told a story to me about the way that I had learned to participate with my mom uh, and with a lot of other women in my life. Mm -hmm. Wow. So, yeah. So, so going back to your personal story and, and seeing and kind of analyzing those different moments and seeing the, the need that needed to be fulfilled, maybe from your mother, uh, the, the, yeah. the, the relationship that you had and kind of what that told about, um, kind of the world as you saw it at that time. Um, and, and then, and as you mentioned, again, going back and, and seeing how that, uh, played out into, into the sexual fantasies as well. So, so for folks who are, um, you know, the, I think we love this this form, you know, formula or a, an approach to hey, once we've once we've identified our story and, and maybe where the, the pieces are coming from that are, I guess, once we get to that level that that place where we say this is, you know, uh, this is the need that I was looking to fulfill because of this something maybe a critical juncture at this time in my life or maybe a, an ongoing progression of something that developed when I was younger. Uh, once we understand that, is there a, is there a three things you can do to get free or like a, you know, an, an approach we can take? Or is it, is it something that has to be worked out with a therapist? How have you been able to, 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 uh, to understand that? Yeah, I would say there's definitely not an equation, but I, the three things that I would say are the first is that we really need to know our story. Uh, and what I mean by that is uh, this summer I had made a little bit of a goal to bike from my house in North Seattle all the way to downtown Seattle where I work kind of every day, not drive in, not pay for parking. Uh, and it was late August and I had almost achieved my goal and I was sitting at a red light uh, right in the middle of downtown Seattle light turns green 
and I go to push my pedal and it just doesn't move. And so I don't know if you ever have those moments as an adult where you fall, mm-hmm. but all 62 centimeters up, I just fell completely down, landed on my left hand and then gashed up my left leg. So the thing that immediately uh, you know, was bleeding that I needed to put attention to was my, my leg. Uh, but then, you know, here I am about two months later, and I still can't do a push-up uh, on my left hand. I can't uh, do many things. Uh, and part of what I would say about that is that my left hand is actually trying to get my attention. Uh, that I'm doing all this kind of weird contortion to make sure that my left hand doesn't hurt anymore. Mm-hmm. And yet what that brokenness is actually trying to invite me to do is to go back to those moments where it first got injured and to move towards healing. And so one of the things that we found in the research was that uh, men and women who were the heaviest pornography users had sexual abuse scores that were nearly 24% higher uh, than those who did not view pornography at all. We also, we also found that a man struggling with a lack of purpose in his life, meaning he had no idea where to go, what to do with his life, saw a lot of failures, uh, escalated his pornography use by a factor of seven. And so in the same way that my hand continually hurts and throbs, that's actually trying to get my attention of being able to say, Jay, would you care for that wound? Would you care for that place that initially... Uh, where it initially got damaged. And so what I would say is that most of us instead try and just combat the pain. So I take a gin and tonic, I take a scotch, I take uh, Tylenol, rather than just kind of saying, I actually need to go uh, (laughs) to my provider, get an x-ray and see if this thing is broken. So first thing I would say is just know your story and get a sense of how your story and what you're in right now actually shapes the sexual choices that you're trying to get away from. Uh, The second thing I would say is uh, we as men need to learn how to regulate our emotional life. Um, And so one of the things that often happens is that uh, one of the most common phrases that I hear in my private practice is that a man would say like, you know, Jay, I struggle with this thing called porn or infidelity, uh, basically because I'm lonely or because I'm horny or because I have a lot of lust. Um, and on one hand, I, I wouldn't disagree with them, but one of the things that we almost never mention is the way that anger and entitlement also factor into our sexual life. And so one of the really common things that occurs in my practice is that a man might say, uh, I made a bid for intimacy with my wife, she declined it, and then literally like an hour later or the next day, he's in his basement watching porn, Um, and so one of the things that this type of man will often say is like, I'm just struggle with lust, or I'm really lonely, and that's why I do it, but if he's not actually engaging the Mm -hmm. anger... Uh, that's underneath so much of that lust, he's never going to be able to transform that dimension of his life because he has no language to name that it even exists. Mm. And so uh, one of the things that we need to learn how to do is to be able to kind of name our emotions that there, there, maybe there is something of lust, but maybe there's also a 
lot of anger, and we have to learn how to regulate those emotions and confront that anger uh, instead of outsourcing it into unwanted sexual behavior. Because what we know from just a neuropathway perspective is that if every single time you encounter difficulty, you get on some uh, pornographic superhighway, uh, that is going to be the primary way that you use to escape and also bring a sense of anger uh, and uh, in some ways even satisfaction against the person that you would say has caused you wrong. Uh, so, and then the third thing I would say is just that we, we really need to journey with others in this thing. Uh, so many times when we try and go it alone, uh, that's not very effective. And so one of the things that the research showed was that uh, if you pursued someone to talk to about things that you were struggling with consistently, you would see a 22% reduction in unwanted sexual behavior just from having someone to pursue. So part of why that's so effective is that uh, in the midst of our sexual brokenness, we often feel a lot of shame about that behavior. And most of us spend a lifetime trying to run away from that reality. And yet what we can do in turning towards our shame is to actually go in and face it and invite other people to to be brought into our story. And it's in the midst of not running from our sexual shame uh, that we begin to experience some sense of power and vulnerability uh, within our sexual life. Wow. Wow. Um, uh, so you, on the last point, you mentioned bringing others in, um, you know, it's in, in a form it is, you know, it's, it is kind of like a, it's accountability, but I think it's a, it's in a different, it's not the focus of the, uh, of the process. Um, but for, for, for this bringing others in or, uh, so if you're, how does it, from what you've, uh, from your research and in your practice as well, have you noticed any differences between folks who are, um, who are single or, you know, bachelor or, you know, aren't, are in, aren't in a relationship, uh, and then other folks who may be in a, a relationship or, or may be married, uh, has, is there some distinct maybe things that have, that you've noticed that are different between the two and, uh, what's important, um, for folks who are, I think we've maybe leaned a little bit more toward folks who are single, but folks who are married and how they can, uh, I guess, bring, bring more unity to their marriage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that ends up happening a lot is uh, another common story for my practice might be that uh, let's just let's call him a 27 year old single male uh, who's about to get engaged. We'll just make him have a fiance. And part of what he would describe is the way that pornography was used in his childhood might have been like a girl's gone wild type of thing or some celebrity uh, or maybe he had access to the internet and started looking at porn. And so every single night before he would go to bed, uh, pornography was part of his life. And so then when he begins dating uh, someone, he might keep that dimension of his life hidden from someone. And then by the time that he gets Mm -hmm. married, he might think that pornography is going to go away because now all of a sudden he's got a sexual partner that he can have sex with uh, as often as they choose. And yet what most people find is that pornography doesn't go away uh, just because you get married. In some ways, it can even be intensified. And far worse, part of what happens is that if you have this kind of pornographic way of relating to others in the sense of one of the appeals to pornography, especially for men, is that in the midst of all the difficulty, in the midst of all the shame, all the crap that we're dealing with, 
pornography gives us the ability to get whatever we want exactly when we want it. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing else on the planet like that. And so if you kind of have been engaged in pornography for a while and then you get married, many times what I begin to see is that your sexual arousal then gets transferred onto your wife and then you expect her to be available to you essentially uh, in the same way that pornography mm-hmm. used to be available. So uh, what I would find often is that there's sometimes single men um, are more involved in pornography, but then as they get married and that kind of sexual template of how they used to deal with pornography, as that gets brought into a marriage, there's often a lot more anger, uh, a lot more rage, a lot more battles around these issues. And so that's one of the things that I really invite a lot of uh, married men into is to really get a sense of how is their sexual entitlement and anger impacting their marriage. Uh, Because as I said before, if we don't have any language to name that, uh, we're not going to be able to transform those dimensions of our life. Yep. Yep. Wow. Um, So I want to change gears a little bit. uh, And at the beginning, you mentioned uh, you were doing a a video course as well, Journey into the Heart of Man. Um, Can you share a a bit more into what this course is all about? We'll be happy to. Yeah, this is... um, This is the best thing I think I've ever created in my life and been part of a lot of dear friends and helping to create this. So what we did was we created 18 episodes of a video course that are designed to help people identify and transform the key drivers of their unwanted sexual behavior. So this, the premise of my book is that unwanted sexual behavior is not random, uh, and therefore the road to freedom is not random either. So this is designed for individuals, small groups, churches, basically anybody that's trying to get a sense of uh, what's the why behind why I do the things that I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so this uh, journey really gets into uh, what we call an arousal template. So uh, we invite people throughout the course to really name the things that they find arousing uh, and then to get a sense of how did their sexual, how did their story affect their sexual choices. So we also created, as part of this course, a self-assessment that's about 140 questions that will give people compass headings into the the themes that they find arousing, the key drivers from childhood, and then some of the difficulties that they're facing in their present life, like depression, anxiety, shame, Hmm. uh, and then to see how all of that impacts their sexual choices so uh it's about a five-month curriculum uh and to me there's really nothing like it out there that most of the courses uh do a lot around like brain neuroscience uh some Mm -hmm. of the insights into addiction and then give you strategies and techniques of how to address that but this course is really designed to invite people into their story uh and then to journey in such a way that Uh, connections begin to get made between the way that uh, their own futility as a man, their own anger as a man, their own depression or anxiety really influences the sexual choices that you make. So one of the key phrases in this journey into the heart of man course and in unwanted my book is uh, this phrase of what does it mean to listen to your lust? Uh, 
Um, and what I mean by that is, uh, if we if we go back to just that premise of most of us try and either suppress desire or just indulge it as if it doesn't mean anything at all, part of what I'm proposing is to invite people to think about their sexual life as a house. And so let's just say it's late in the evening and you get a familiar knock of lust at your door. And part of the question that I pose in this series is, what are you going to do? Um, are you going to call a phone, a friend for backup? Are you going to put like some filter over your house so that it can't get in at all? Um, or are you going to invite it into your house to just let it ransack various rooms? And so instead, what I invite people into is to go and meet it out on the front porch to listen to what it might be saying and to ask it questions of like, why do you even think that you would be welcomed here? Um, and one of the things that the research found was that uh, one of the big um, sexual fantasies, especially for men, had to do with men that looked at teenagers, that looked at college students, a race that suggested to them some type of subservience, uh, women with a petite body type. And so what we did in the analytics was to say, if that was your sexual fantasy, what did that say about you? Like, if we could actually listen to where that came from, what would we find? And what we found were three primary drivers of that sexual fantasy. The first was having a very strict father. The second was uh, feeling high levels of a lack of purpose in your life. And the third was uh, experiencing a lot of shame around your sexual behavior. And so to me, the writing on the wall is that one of the reasons why men found this so appealing to them was that it, it gave them someone to be subordinate. Uh, it, it gave them someone that needed to be subordinate to them in the midst of a lot of their life of being powered over by a father uh, who was really strict, uh, by dealing with a lot of lack of purpose where they couldn't get their life together. But again, as I, as I mentioned earlier, they could find something in pornography that gave them an immediate sense of what they want. Uh, so one of my favorite quotes is uh, by a guy named Richard Rohr, and he says, the pain that we do not transform, we transmit. Always someone else has to suffer because I don't know how to. And so central to this course and to this book is to really invite people to get a sense of what is the pain? What are the wounds? What are, what's the anger that's actually driving this? And if we can begin to grieve those things, if we can begin to name those things, the path to freedom is going to be revealed. So uh, I'll just close it by saying that course can be found at heartofmanjourney.com, H-E-A-R-T-O-F, manjourney.com. Uh, and I really hope people will check it out. Yeah, no, that's, that's incredible. And I really admire um, your detail and just how robust both the, the the level of research for your book and also the the duration and I'm, I'm confident all the all the hard work that went into to produce this you mentioned five month long um course uh so that's you know it's quite admirable is this um is it for the course is it is are you able to enroll at any time or is this um is there a specific start start date uh, no, it is uh, self-paced. You can go um, as slow um, or 
within five months as you want. So wow. uh, we we really designed it to journey with someone else. Uh, so there, there are a lot of individuals that are using it. Uh, but what we're finding is that there are a lot of allies or the classic accountability partners uh, that are signing up for mm-hmm. this as well. Uh, so uh, what we really encourage is to find a friend, to find someone else uh, that wants this journey into sexual wholeness as well. Uh, and to do this together. Wonderful, wonderful. And yeah, and you mentioned, I, I, I hear shame coming up a lot and it's yeah. it's something that probably gets pushed down underneath that repressed barrier and uh, you have to you have to go and uncover these different thoughts that are, you know, unconsciously or consciously being pushed down um, and, yes. and, bring it, and bring them back to the surface. Yeah, one, one of the things that I talk about in the book Unwanted is that... Uh, one of my favorite stories from the last couple of years was this guy named Andy Casagrande, who is the videographer for the show Shark Week. Uh, he was once asked, what do you do when you're in the waters with a great white shark? And he said, well, it's very counterintuitive, but what you're supposed to do is swim right at the great white shark with the camera. And the interviewer <laughs> is like, what? What yeah. are you doing? You're yeah. crazy. Um, and what he says is that this great white shark will come up and bonk its nose against the camera and then realizes that it's not food. And then it begins to freak out a little bit because it has no idea what it is. So if you're a great white shark, everything in the whole entire ocean (laughs) swims away from you, right? And so if this thing is coming at you, the shark has no idea what to do. And so it it runs, it basically swims away. Mm -hmm. And what Andy Casagrande says is this fabulous line that if you do not act like prey, they will not treat you like prey. Uh, And what I found as a clinician and as a pastor is that one of the biggest great whites in our life is this role of shame. And most of us will spend a lifetime trying to swim away from it Mm -hmm. rather than actually turn towards it uh, and invite other people into the sense of this is where I feel shame. This is the specific sexual behavior that I feel shame about. And once we begin to turn towards it and face it and be curious Mm -hmm. about how all of that came to be, Shame dissipates, it mitigates so rapidly because it can't survive in the context of vulnerability, curiosity, and relationship. Wow, wow. Yeah, so, so we're, we're created as people that are, that are in control and are, and are able to, uh, to, to not be um, pushed down underneath or uh, are able to deal with these situations ourselves. And a lot of times, you know, we'll, we'll push it off to, or, you know, or, or, or play the victim on something, but, but what, but rather we're, we're the ones that have the power in the situation. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. Most of us completely underestimate the power that we have, uh, because most of us are, are very aware of the power that we don't have in our life or the mm-hmm. power that we really desire in life but can't have. But some of the things that we absolutely have the power to do is to turn towards those things, to be really curious, to ask questions of how did this come in, into my life? At what point in my life did I begin to develop this fantasy? Or at what point in my marriage did infidelity become... Uh, a really appealing option. So mm-hmm. the more curious we are uh, about how our sexual life came to be, that is really the first experience of freedom that we're going to be able to find because most of us, uh, we just don't have good thoughts about our sexual brokenness. Most of us are just trying to say, I need to stop it. Uh, or we, what I find over and over again is when men and women come into my office, uh, it, 
they really just haven't engaged these matters uh, with regard to their story. So that's what this book, this course is really designed to do is Mm -hmm. to say your story is inevitably shaping your sexual choices. And if you don't know how to connect those dots, uh, there's going to be a lot of vulnerability um, in you uh, to be seduced by unwanted sexual behavior. Yeah, and I, I love your um, the example that you used about the about the house. Uh, it's it's you know it's having the curiosity to open the door, um, but it's not it's not letting the you know the the thought the person ransack your house at the same time. You know, so it's yes. it's this yeah. it's this it's this balance that you you're looking to strike in in between. Yeah, and that's that's the uh, I mean when it came to a lot of my own healing in these matters. Uh, I had to go back to those places of, you know, I'm a I'm a adolescent boy who my nickname was Donut in middle school. I uh, had a lot of abuse, a lot of cruelty done against me, and so much of the sexual fantasy that I created was basically about being cared for by people older than me, by women older. Uh, and and that was a lot of the ways that God had designed me to be really attentive to the the hurts and pains that people were going through. And then I would begin to sexualize those uh, encounters and those involvements that I would have with my friends and uh, women that I was doing life with. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the biggest places of integrity for me was to be able to say, uh, there's a lot of pain in my story. uh, And there's also a lot of beauty and goodness. And what would it mean for me to actually be attentive to that pain and to not sexualize uh, some of the best parts about who I am? And so the the more that I actually had integrity to know my story, but then to also confront uh, some of those places in the present of instead of outsourcing it to porn, but to really get a sense of I, I don't want the you know so much of my life and my relational life to be full of just a lot of noise around sexuality when uh, so much of the way that I've been designed is to be really caring, uh, mm-hmm. but I don't need to allow. Uh, some of the best parts of me to be seduced into unwanted sexual behavior. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, uh, well, well, Jay, uh, it's it's been a pleasure speaking with you today. And uh, just for the final final question, I want to know um, if you have a word of advice or encouragement for folks um, who uh, who are listening. Uh, I think the 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 word that I would say is how can you be increasingly kind. Uh, to your unwanted sexual behavior that most of us uh again as we've talked throughout this episode either try and suppress and go to war against ourselves or we indulge but the more kind and the more curious we can be uh the more that we're really going to allow ourselves uh to get a sense of how all of this mess came to be uh, and most of us really try and go through life uh, with some version of contempt. We don't like our bodies. We don't like uh, our 401k. We don't like uh, a lot of this life that we've been given. And so most of our approaches to get through life uh, usually end up being driven by contempt. And so part of what I, I think I would really invite people to is is to this counterintuitive path of of being kind and curious about the things that we struggle with. 
Wow. Well, great. Um, again, Jay, thanks for the, for the word of encouragement, but also for, uh, for sharing, uh, your, your story, uh, the work that you're doing, um, with your, with your book video course, um, and really just a kind of a snapshot of, uh, of your, of your practice as well. So thank you. It was a pleasure having you on today. Tyler, such a joy to be here. So thank you so much.